0: Are you building a brand in supply chain? Find out all you need to know from Tim Pajak in Season 2-Episode 31. He talks to me about how he helped rebrand MOL, one of the largest steamship lines, and how to stay current in this increasingly tough market. Welcome to Let's Talk Supply Chain. My name is Sarah Barnes-Humphrey, and each week I bring you the top supply chain professionals In the industry, you will learn about best practices, new innovation and most up to date information about supply chain. I believe that collaboration is the future of business and I have designed this show to ensure you have all the information you need to succeed in business and in your supply chain. Welcome back to the show. Let's talk listeners. We have supply chain professionals tuning in each and every week from different parts of the world. So wherever you are, thanks for tuning in and hope you are having a good one. Before we get into listeners corner, I could not bring this podcast to you without the support of our community. And that includes our sponsors. Border Buddy approached me to sponsor the the podcast. And I thought it was a no brainer because I love what they are doing and how they are disrupting the industry. Border Buddy is taking a modern, fresh approach to clearing goods. I have been in the industry for over 20 years and I have never seen anything like this before. Guys, our industry is changing right before our eyes and Border Buddy is who you will want on your side as they are forward thinking and do amazing things like integrate with your online platforms, including Shopify, and they clear and help you import your personal shipments as well. Well, whether you are in the U.S. or Canada, Border Buddy is your only choice for a partner when you import to North America. Visit them at borderbuddy.com for more information. Now, let's get to the, quest, uh, the question of the week, and that's in Listener's Corner. So, how do you remain competitive in today's rapidly changing consumer markets and age of disruption? That question came in from Mary from Chicago. Irina Rosca, she was recently on our Woman in Supply Chain series. Part 10. She says, great question. This was a part of our conversation for the new episode. In my opinion, as organizations, we must do a better job to understand who the actual customer is? Who are we truly servicing? Is it the retail market, institutions, or end consumers? With that in mind, we can then reinvent our solutions, networks, and processes to provide the care and service our end customers deserve and expect. You can see the rest of her answer, and that's at letstalksupplychain.com forward slash listener dash corner. Sapna Malhotra, she was also in my two-part blockchain series in season two. So go check that out. She says, I keep up the industry and innovation trends and figure out what cool experience I'd love to have. And then our conversation on Instagram was with Logicup. Underscore UK. They said, "I guess postponement is the best strategy." And when I pushed them further, they said postponing replenishment and shipments in order to better assess what the demand looks like. Remember that this show is by a supply chain professional for supply chain professionals, professionals, and we want to learn from each other. So send me your questions, and I will share them with the community, with the experts online in our social media on Twitter where let's talk S chain. On Instagram, where let's talk supply chain, and I have a LinkedIn page, let's talk supply chain. So send me your questions to listener at letstalksupplychain.com. On today's episode, I am talking all things warehouse optimization with Dan. He is the CEO and co-founder of Optricity. Dan, inventor of the first commercially available slotting software, sold his first company, Performance Analysis Corporation, to Manhattan Associates in 1998. Retiring as a senior executive after helping to take MA public, he later returned to industry as a CEO in the technology sector. Dan joined Sheila and Chuck at Optricity in January of 2006 after advising several technology startup ventures. Dan is a world-renowned optimist a warehousing optimization domain expert, innovator, and a globally sought-after industry speaker. Graduate of Duke's University, Dan has lectured on small business in Russia and provided in-person industry presentations in the U.S., Europe, and in Australia. His web presentations have reached over a 1,000 requested downloads. He is a recognized thought leader. Dan is the author or co-author of many warehousing optimization white papers, and articles distributed online and in the industry-leading publications globally. So welcome to the show, Dan.
1: Well, thank you for having me, Sarah. Appreciate it. I really enjoy talking about all this supply chain stuff that, that we're up to and other, other people as well.
0: Yeah, me too, me too. So you have quite a resume and approach to business and supply chain. So I'm excited to get started. So let's not waste any more time. So why don't you tell me, you know, who is Optricity? What is the story behind the brand? And what do you do?
1: Sure. Optricity um, is a 13-year-old company. We specialize in making use of true optimization techniques in supply chain. Very specifically, we work mostly on slotting optimization opportunities that are out there. Um, but, you know, Optricity isn't our first time around with this. I actually had a company that I started back in 1980 that brought out the very first commercially available sliding optimization package uh, in 1987. Um, and, and back then, because the Internet wasn't that prevalent, uh, most of our customers were in the U.S. and Canada For that old product, which was the old um, slotted uh, slotting optimization package. Um, I sold that company to Manhattan Associates in 1998, stayed on as a senior VP with Manhattan for just a couple of years and then took five years off. Optricity was born simply because after looking back into supply chain with my two partners here, Sheila Benny and Chuck Grissom, we noticed that nobody else, in our opinion, had done a really good job making use of true optimization techniques in uh, supply chain opportunities that existed out there. So what we did was we said, fine, we're going to jump in. We're really, really good um, at uh, using true optimization, uh, usually using a tool called combinatorial math, to solve opportunities in supply chain and very specifically uh, inside the four walls of a distribution center. So Chuck, Sheila, and I, and by the way, they both work for me at my old company as well, started Optricity um, to, in fact, bring good mathematics, true optimization to the opportunities in supply chain. And it just made sense to start with the one that we had lived and breathed for so many years at my old company, which is why we brought out our OptiSlot product to do supply chain optimization on the slotting side. Um, the brand, uh, everybody asked the question, Sarah, so I'll just tell you in advance. Optricity, where did that come from? Well, Jill is kind of a marketing genius, and what we really wanted to talk about was you know, electrifying one's supply chain. And so, uh, Optricity is optimization electricity, so electrify your um, optimization opportunities inside your four walls. So that that's kind of what that's all about. Uh we still spend sir about 95% of our time on sliding optimization. It's low hanging fruit out there. So so while we have all kinds of other stuff in the pipeline that we might talk about later, uh we really focus on on the sliding optimization oppor- opportunity that exists out there today.
0: That's great. I love that story. And thank you so much for, you know, letting us know how you came up with the name, because that's, you know, a huge part of where a brand comes from. And uh, I love what you guys did there. So let's talk about, you know, the challenges in warehousing today. This is where you guys sort of live and breathe. This is what you do on a day to day basis. So what do you think are, you know, the biggest challenges in warehousing today?
1: Yeah, you know the one that I think is always going to be the biggest challenge is to meet the the service levels that are demanded of customers today, and they've changed dramatically. This is not new news, but when you know one big company says uh, same day delivery or next day delivery, it puts pressure on everyone else out there to in, improve their service levels as well. So I think that's one that um, everybody would a- agree is something to be concerned about. It keeps changing out there. Uh, second one is. Is this is kind of related, but uh, now we have multiple order profiles inside many of our distribution centers. So not only do we have our regular customer base that's used to, for example, giving us an order today for many, many items and then are shipping that order perhaps tomorrow. Um, but now we also have the, this, this e-commerce thing where if you're ordering, uh, your average order size is in many instances less than two or three, um, lines per order. Um, And how to fulfill what I call the normal order versus these uh, really small orders is difficult. If you're trying to service both types of customers from one distribution center, one pick line, it makes it really difficult. So that's kind of a new one for the past uh, couple of years to deal with. It's been dealt with in more than one fashion using the same pick line using different pick lines and so forth but that's a that's a biggie because that also has an effect on um on service levels that you can provide out of the center the third one's labor uh sim- in my mind simply because uh, the labor force has changed in a pretty dramatic um way recently and it might also be the reason that we're seeing um so much activity in the area of robotics inside distribution centers right now. So those three, in my opinion, service levels, uh, multiple order profiles, and labor are the ones that uh, I think are the most challenging right now.
0: Yeah, you make a great point on the fulfillment being large versus small. And we haven't really talked about this. It's not something that is – spoken about too, too much. But you know, the e commerce orders, which are, like you said, very small with only a few lines, versus a large order that is multiple, multiple lines. And you just said that, you know, it's very difficult to fulfill both of those in the same facility. Why? Why is that?
1: Well, once again, um, and this goes back to our um, core, which is you know how to lay product out in a pick line. Um, you might lay product out differently if you only were picking large orders or only picking what I call scarce orders with very few lines per order. Um, so the challenge is obviously you know how can you do both um, at the same time, and some of the some of the tricks to this have to do with um, with uh, batching small orders. Uh, but once you do things like that, so you're doing batch picks to get some kind of pick density out of, out of your pick line, then all of a sudden you have to have the systems to support, um, batch pick, uh, and that is going to include, um, the ability to se- uh, separate orders on the shipping dock as well. So there's some additional technology requirements that would help with uh, efficiency, and I'm talking about picking efficiency um, inside um, a distribution center. And I want to make, uh, you know, just another distinction here because there's two issues. You know, service levels are really dependent on throughput, throughput in a distribution center, how fast you can, you know, log an order, pick an order, um, pick, pack, and ship uh, off uh, off the shipping dock. That's throughput. That has nothing to do with efficiency. You can throw all kinds of labor and mechanization at something in order to get High throughput, But it might not be very efficient. Efficient is um, using the minimal resources required in order to process um, pick, pack, and ship orders out the door. So those are two completely different things out there. But service levels is, is really a, a matter of throughput rather than efficiency. Yeah,
0: and I'm glad you were able to sort of explain that because I, uh, you know, it's, it's good to know the difference between those two. And if you do have one, you may not have the other. So, so that's really good. And then one more thing I just wanted to touch on with that labor topic. Uh, you mentioned robotics and obviously this is a huge topic within warehousing. What do you think is going, what, what are the changes that are going to be made? Obviously with labor, um, people are a little bit, you know, hesitant about robotics because they don't want it to take out people's jobs. I think it's just going to change the roles um, dramatically, not really eliminate jobs, but it's going to create jobs as well. So, what's your take on that?
1: Well, sir, I would agree with what you just said, um, and it's interesting the robotics that have come out. Um, and again, I'll focus on uh, on picking uh, robotics inside the distribution center. We see all different levels of capabilities of robots out there. Um, and and so I'll just give you an example. There's uh, actually a friend of mine up in Massachusetts who um, came up with a new set of robotics uh, where um, these are robots that run down aisles with totes. And then there's a whole wave of selectors that follow them. So selectors are actually picking product, but they're dropping product into totes that a robot holds. And then the robot takes these products away to a shipping dock. So that's kind of a, um, a mixture of a standard um, labor approach with people and some robotics. Uh, another friend of mine, and it's interesting because, you know, I've got 30-something years in supply chain here, um, is with a company that, uh, that actually has pre- um, presented to the marketplace robots that essentially mimic the selection activity of people. Um, and their robotics is actually meant to do each picks uh, using pretty decent technology which uh, Where you could run um, a dark distribution center for the most part. Um, and so that one's a little more aggressive in the, uh, I'll say the replacement of people in the picking operation. But again, Sarah, I, I agree with you. You're, you may be replacing that function that people do, but you're not absolutely replacing the people, the people get moved to other um, other requirements within the distribution center. So, I mean, it, it's all over the board. Um, but I do see that most of the companies out there, even the uh, traditional companies out there, are at least investigating the possibility to make use of this technology, understanding the upfront capital expenditure with uh, also an understanding of, of how the benefits would come over time as the labor market continues to shrink um, at the same time when people just don't necessarily want to do that job um, inside the four walls. Or if they do, they want to get paid much higher rates in a tight labor market.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, so let's go back. Let's get to that efficiency point, actually, that you made. So how can a company sort of measure how efficient their warehouse is?
1: Yeah, well, there's some traditional measures for that, but I'm going to go back to, uh, again, I think uh, because of service levels, order accuracy is going to be one of the primary measures um, that we have of how well we're doing out there. Getting that 99.5% or higher um, accuracy rate is really important. Um, but while you're doing that, in order to get efficiency, you got to make sure, you know, the measures are going to be pick rates especially um, as uh, a very important thing. Um, and that should be compared, you know, it's funny, I, I say this and then I'll tell you why it's kind of dumb, but you should compare to industry averages because the numbers, and we see this in, in our own business here, the numbers that you get for pick rates are all over the board, depending on what your center looks like, what industry you're in, uh, and obviously the work that you have to do out there. Um, so uh, pick rates is just uh, one, one way um, to, to figure out if you're being efficient um, in providing a very high accuracy level. Uh, and that's going to actually turn into on-time shipments off your um, shipping dock, and hopefully onto the receiving dock or the you know front door of your customer, whichever one it is out there. So there's traditional um, methods uh, of looking um, at efficiency. Um, there's one that a lot of people don't talk about specifically, but I'm going to tell you it's space utilization. Um, and actually we can look into the future in some sense by looking at what goes on in, in Europe where space is really tight and they're uh, focusing much, much more on not only technology, but also um, the use of cubic capacity of a building in the most efficient way to house whatever product it is they need to store. So here in the U.S., we're not, we have a little bit more freedom in terms of the space that's required. Uh, but making really good use of that space uh, is going to become uh, far more uh, more important and could be a way of measuring our efficiency. And, and so just to go a little further on that space one, because most people might not talk about that, all they say to us is we're out of space. And actually, most of the time, people aren't out of space. They're out of locations. So... Um, There's a way to measure that, and it has nothing to do with the cubic capacity of a building. You know, if you just measure the four walls and the ceiling and the floor and and figure that out, that's not it. What it really is is the cubic capacity of the locations, the slots, the bays, whatever your storage media is um, in your building that's the thing that should be measured. Uh, and the reason I say that is because what we find is, uh, in many instances, there's a mismatch between the items that are per- put in certain locations and those locations' capacities themselves, where it becomes pretty easy to waste space inside of the product locations in your building. So I think that one should, uh, at some point, be added to the list of measures of efficiency as, once again, space gets tighter and tighter here in the U.S., Again, the leading indicator being what's going on in Europe where it's already tight.
0: Yeah, and I had a conversation with a gentleman from Collier's a few episodes ago, and he was even talking about how competitive the market is here in Canada for warehousing space as well. So I think it's not only a problem in Europe, but it's definitely... Um, a bit of an issue in North America as well. So I think you're bang on. I love that you're talking about, you know, the space versus efficiency and that you're not necessarily out of space, but out of location. So that's a g- really great way to put it. And I think that it's going to, you know, raise some questions and have some people sort of maybe rethink um, how they're doing warehousing today. So let's talk about reslotting. Um, you've mentioned it a couple of times um, already. When and how often should you re-slot your warehouse?
1: Yeah, you know, I wish there were a single answer to that because I get that question on a regular basis. Um, and it should be really clear why there's no single answer. And so I'll just kind of run through different scenarios uh, to explain it. Let's go to, um, gosh, an industry that, again, I started out working with in, uh, in the mid-1980s, and that's the retail grocery industry. Retail grocery is um, is pretty fluid. They're not super fluid in terms of you know uh, bringing in new products and deleting old products. They're kind of average um, there, um, but they're seasonal. Um, there's a big seasonality effect, and they do promotions. Um, so this kind of a business needs to um, look at reslotting um, frequently. And by frequently, I mean seasonally. Uh, when we go into say the Thanksgiving. Christmas season, uh, we need to slot prior to that because we're going to have um, a, a pretty a large number of items that are going to blow out the door. That most of the time during the rest of the year don't. And I'll give you a really good example: pumpkin pie mix. You know how often are you baking a pumpkin pie in, in July? But come Thanksgiving, it's gonna that product is going to blow out the door. So seasonality. Um, in this industry especially, is going to affect um, how many times you do uh your warehouse. Uh, the summer season, same deal. There's going to be products that just sit on the shelves uh, and then summer comes around and they're going to just kind of blow off the shelves. So uh, that's that industry. We have uh, spare parts, for example, a different industry completely. Uh, usually these guys store um, smaller products in bins or on static shelving or in some instances in case flow rack or deck rack. Um, might be seasonal, a little bit more stable in that industry, uh, possibly don't have to reslot slot um, as often, simply because their business is, is more stable and steady-state through the course of the year. So you can see um, how I'm answering your question here, Sarah. It really is different um, by industry based on certain characteristics which have to do with things like, I mentioned, seasonality, promotional activity, the number of new items that come in the door on a regular basis that have to be slotted and then re-slotted once you hit a steady state up on demand for those items. Um, and, and, and factors um, similar to those are uh, what are really going to um, dictate how often you have to re-slot. This uh, question, Sarah, comes up so often. I did write a white paper on this uh, that's available uh, as a download from our website. But uh, really, really good question.
0: Okay, I'm going to have to get that one from Lindsay, and maybe we can share that with the audience. But you make a good point there. You know, it really depends on industry and on, on items, seasonality, that kind of thing. But it is a very, very important part of warehousing and should definitely be taken a look at. Um, right?
1: Sure, Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about some indicators. Um, you know, companies want to have an idea of when they should be looking at their warehousing, looking at optimization. Um, so what are the top three indicators that a company does not have control over the products moving through their warehouses? And maybe you could give us um, an example, and I don't know if it d- differs, but maybe an example between uh, small to medium-sized businesses versus large?
1: Yeah, I can do that. Um, And let's just run through it. Again, these these terms I'm going to use are so commonplace. Um, So we'll just um, work our way through. So number one, Um, I'm thinking most of the distribution centers out there are measured based on order accuracy and um, service level, providing the service level that's expected by the customer. So I'm going to say the most important indicator is order accuracy. If you have low order accuracy, uh, there's a problem out there. Um, The problem might be a labor issue. It might be a, a lack of technology issue where we have all kinds of picking systems, for example, voice pick. RF pick, um, anything that you can think of out there that are going to help with order accuracy. Again, this is one of the you know, one of the most important indicators in my mind of how well you're performing inside the four walls. So that's going to be the the first one that I think of out there. And, and believe it or not, it's not just that kind of technology that helps there. Um, even slotting can help with that. And I'll just give an example. Um, and I'll go back to uh, retail grocery because it's so easy to do. Uh, The product called Gatorade comes in multiple flavors, uh, but every one of the flavors comes in a case that's essentially identical. So um, if you put those, um, all of those cases uh, or pallets with those cases on them next to each other in a pick path, uh, what a a picker is going to see is a whole bunch of product that all looks the same in multiple bays down the pick path. Um, So, What's to keep that selector from picking from the wrong location? Well, not much. Um, it's even better, of course, if he's directed, either voice directed or RF directed. But it, there's still accuracy issues um, that can happen if you don't separate items that look alike in a pick pass. So that's number one is order accuracy. You know, that's what you're paid to do, right, is deliver accurate orders on time out of a distribution center. Second one I would say is pick rates, right? You know, if, if your pick rates aren't up to um, snuff, well, there's there's got to be a reason for that. And I was going to tell a story earlier, so I'll, I'll say it now. Um, one way to, to understand your pick rates is the is to compare them to um, industry averages, obviously within your same industry, within distribution centers that handle essentially the same product that you handle. But um, if you're comparing to averages, well, you're probably not – doing the right thing. Um, And I'm not sure the technology is yet available in supply chain to do this. um, But you should be comparing yourself to the best performers um, in your particular industry, not to average. If you compare yourself to average and somebody says, well, you're good because you're above average. Well, that doesn't tell you how far below the best you are. And so why not aim for the best, not just aim to be better than the average? That applies to all kinds of different things, not just pick rates. But it's just something I would look at um, if the pick rates are low. Like I said, what it, you know, what could be the cause? Naturally, I'm going to say slotting. Uh, you know, maybe you just don't have the items in the right locations or location types out there to be able to pick those items um, in, a, in an efficient efficient manner. Uh, which, again, in that instance, is going to also reduce your throughput. Uh, or maybe you haven't sequenced items down a pick path in, in such a fashion that um, you keep your your selectors from double and triple handling those items if they're building outbound mixed queue pallets to build one that um, puts the dense items on the bottom of the pallet and the crushable items on the top of the pallet. So you can lose all kinds of efficiency uh, through there, and that's going to cut your pick rates down pretty dramatically. Also, uh, pick rates are... Um, Actually, uh, They're affected by um, the experience of the people that are on the floor. And that is dictated also by the level of training that's required in order to do a good job. So within a, a distribution center, you can actually set up the layout of a center in such a way that you can minimize the amount of training that's required. And with the level of turnover that happens within these centers, that would be a really wise objective, in my opinion. So pick rates is is number two. Number three, in my opinion, would be replenishment frequency. And once again, this has a lot to do with the opportunity to have a mismatch between um, the items that you keep um, in your center and their dimensional information and outbound um, demand, uh, consumer demand, versus the locations into which they're stored um, inside the distribution center. Uh, so just as an example, if you have a, a very fast-moving item um, and you've put it into a small location, well, um, you're going to visit that location pretty often because it's a fast-moving item, and chances are that you are going uh, somebody's going to visit an empty location um, to try to uh, fill an order, and they won't be able to fill the order until a replenishment occurs, um, in this instance, in the middle of a selection cycle, which means you're either going to not ship complete or you're going to send a chaser around um, after the replenishments have been done to um, pick the items complete so you can ship complete. That drops efficiency in a huge way. So uh, what we see a lot of people do is measure this based on how often they have to replenish um, their products out there. And if there isn't a a really good standard across all the SKUs in a center, then you're going to um, really uh, understand that you need to do a better job. You probably just don't have enough control over that particular function um, to um, get the efficiency that you need in order to have good throughput in your center.
0: Absolutely. Those are really, really great indicators. And I love that you said, you know, how far below the best are you? Um, I think that's an amazing analogy and definitely something to keep in mind when you're taking a look at, you know, the different parts of your supply chain, even not just warehousing. So what techniques and or solutions are there to help a company take control and master those operations after, you know, they've been able to take a look and uh, pinpoint, you know, with those indicators that you had just spoken about?
1: Sure. Well, first of all, you know, the basic thing is you have a really good um, warehouse management system capability out there, whether it's, you know, one of the tier one, tier two, tier three popular ones or whether it's homegrown. doesn't really matter. Just so long as the functionality exists to be able to um, track, number one, track what you're doing. And then number two, if at all possible, to um, make recommendations to improve. Uh, And so by that, what I mean is some of the systems out there um, today uh, make use of um, both dedicated and dynamic uh, pick locations because they can look ahead. They can be proactive at the work requirement that's about to hit and say, "Okay, in order to fill these orders, we don't have enough items in our in our pick faces. So let's create some dynamic locations uh, so that we can pick and ship complete without wasting a lot of time. So the WMS functionality is pretty, pretty crucial here. Um, less crucial but still important is any kind of labor management software so we can at least track um, the performance of our people and always keep an eye on how we can improve there. And then you know I'm going to say slotting because slotting optimization um, is really useful across the board from the CPG companies that are shipping mostly pallet in, pallet out, super high volume, right down to the you know 500,000 SKU uh, repair parts facilities uh, with a bunch of slow-moving items, uh, it, you still need to have those items in the right locations um, and in the right sequence of locations down a pick path in order to get the efficiency that allows you to get good throughput, um, which is going to uh, allow you, in my opinion, to um, to, to um, ship ship on time to p- deliver the service level that people are requ- um, are requiring out there right now. So it's all basic stuff, Sarah. There's, I didn't say anything that's not just basic stuff.
0: No, but it's definitely things that, you know, sometimes you don't think about. Sometimes you just need a little bit of a nudge or even you know, just a reminder of, you know, different things to look for and what's out there to really help optimize those operations. Sorry about that. So you've been really good throughout this conversation to provide examples. And I love that because that's the way that people can really relate and, you know, get behind some of the things that you're talking about. But I was wondering if you wanted to maybe give us a real life example of how you at Optricity has helped one of your clients.
1: Yeah, we can do that um, together here, sir. We can do that. And so I'll do, and we don't name our customers. Um, it's just something, uh, pr- privacy is something we really um, want to, make sure we uh, we hold on to for ourselves. So I'll just name an industry and tell you that we have many, many customers in the food service industry. That's completely different from um, retail or wholesale grocery uh, in the food service industry. And so what we find um, in many of these centers is that they're still running very conventional operations. Uh, there's some possibly some level of mechanization. They might have some mezzanines with pick belt. Operations, But for the most part, what we see is, is a very conventional, traditional um, case pick to double pallet jack or, or something like that, where um, in order to um, pick orders, they travel a serpentine pick path up and down aisles. Uh, many of the centers that we um, work with have what we call cross aisles or travel aisles as well. And, you know, the reason for those cross aisles or travel aisles is, um, in fact, to reduce travel times, to do something, either to replenish or to, to uh, select product out there. And so in food service, um, what um, people are, are mostly concerned about are, number one, something I mentioned earlier, uh, a replenishment frequency. What they do to make decisions uh, in general about, you know, where product needs to be is they look at those um, products that they're replenishing way, way too often and in many cases uh, disrupting their selection operation in the process of replenishing, and they say, aha, that, those are items we need to move right away. So that's one thing um, that obviously we've been able to help with because with sliding optimization software, you can absolutely control that replenishment see, uh, frequency in a very proactive manner uh, to avoid lots of the issues that cut through uh, cut throughput um, and efficiency both. So um, that's number one. Number two is what these guys always want to do are two things simultaneously. Number one, they want to present product in a pick path as close as possible to the way that an outbound mixed skew palette needs to be loaded up from heavy to light. Usually that's how people put it in simple terms. Heavy items, dense items on the bottom of the palette, um, light or crushable items on the top. So that could be something like cans on the bottom and paper trays or, or napkins or uh, anything light and breakable you'd want on the top of a pallet. Um, and they want to do that um, with an opportunity, if at all possible, to cut out some of the, the aisles from being traveled for every order. Doing those two things simultaneously is something nobody really ever thought could be done, especially in food service. So what food service focused on was presenting their selectors with product the way they needed to be um, to build a a stable, densely packed outbound mixed cube pallet. Makes sense. We we get that. Um, And actually, we've set up lots and lots of food service distribution centers that way. But then, see, here's where we apply um, a little bit of mathematics and um, uh, an understanding not from an operational perspective but more from – an academic, I'll say, perspective of how we can make that even better. And the way to make that even better is if you can, at the same time, present selectors with the product they need, uh, you know, to build that mix use stable outbound palette, but at the same time lay product out in a pick path where you increase the opportunity that those selectors can make use of a travel aisle to skip traveling usually some portion of the back part of their facilities. Um, And in some instances uh, where we run into facilities that don't have travel aisles, it's fine. It's Can we lay out product in such a way that we can find an aisle or two that can be skipped on um, an occasional basis at least? so that we're cutting out um, the, the, uh, the uh, cost of selection. And what happens as a result of doing all of this is the pick rates go up. Uh, and in the food service industry, uh, they go up relatively dramatically. Um, so that's what we've done. Uh, across the board with our food service customers um, here in the U.S. Um, and uh, internationally, um, they're all getting the same kind of benefits because we've just found a way um to do those um those things uh, simultaneously. Um and, and that has turned into um some really, really happy um food service customers out there.
0: Great, great. That's a really good example and I love how you use food service because they do have a lot of SKU's. Um a lot more than most and they are seasonal as well. So there's a lot of moving parts in that industry. So when we talk about the benefit, obviously you you know of of using a company like Optricity. You've spoken about, you know, efficiency and and um different things like labor. What specifically is the benefit and an ROI that a company should expect from working with you?
1: Yeah, that's another one, Sarah. So, you know, there's no one answer to that question um, unless we spend time to go into a distribution center and watch how they're working now. We have no basis. So how do we know what the improvement is going to be if we don't know how good they are now, right? So the way I usually answer the question, I will give you an answer. Um, The way I answer the question is to categorize distribution centers, um, and I'll say into three categories. So, and it goes like this. Category number one. Is that organization that absolutely recognizes the value of good slotting optimization and, in fact, has made an investment in software specifically designed to do slotting optimization? So, what we run into most of the time is my old software um, that, you know, in that, from that company I sold to Manhattan Associates. Um, and once in a while, some other slotting software out there we run into. Um, in those instances where um, that particular customer has said, geez, Dan, it's time for us to upgrade from this old slotting software to this new slotting software. Well, there's already a commitment. You already know that that company is committed to good slotting because they spent the money and took the time to acquire software specifically to do slotting optimization. In those instances, what we see on a regular basis, again, where we're replacing some other slotting optimization software, we're seeing anywhere from six to over ten percent productivity gains, selective productivity gains. So That's just on a regular basis, and that really is a testament to um, the goodness of the mathematics, the combinatorial mathematics that we're using this time around in our software. Um, because again, we're comparing to the results of uh, other slotting optimization software. So that's category one. It's pretty prevalent. The most prevalent one is those is, is category two, Sarah. And that is where you run into a company that understands the value of good slotting and uses spreadsheet to try to come up with answers. Um, and the issue with that is that slotting optimization is a multi-dimensional opportunity out there. And the reason why is you have multiple goals and constraints. So what are the goals? Well, Pretty easy, right? Increase selector productivity, uh, control replenishment cycle, better use of space, ergonomics—meaning uh, we don't want to hurt our selectors through bend and reach. Uh, we also have uh, breakable product where we don't—we want to minimize any kind of product loss, things like that. I just named off—I don't know—maybe five objectives. How can you solve that with a two-dimensional? tool like spreadsheet. It's just not that appropriate. It's what's handy. It's, it's not absolutely appropriate. And so um, we replace uh, the spreadsheet approach very, very often. And when we do that, what, what do we have? Number one, somebody took the time to write a spreadsheet. So we know they're committed to the sliding optimization function. They just don't have the right tool right? That's number two. They just don't have the right tool. So when we replace um, that uh, spreadsheet approach, uh, what we typically see again is a range that uh, starts out at about 10% selective productivity gains and goes up to 20 plus percent um, gains um, in these centers because it's not just about the tool that they're using. There are other um, uh, things that impact um, the goodness of slotting within a center, not just the tool that you're using. The third category is kind of a funny one But I like going through it, Um, and I'll do it by using an example. We have a global customer uh, with uh, implementations of our sliding software on six continents, big customer, Um, high margin, very high margin business out there. Um, And so what that means is from a business perspective, when they have money to spend, they've spent it on marketing because if they increase their top line since they have huge margins – that means it's going to take care of everything else. It'll cover up any other issues that might be out there. Well, what happened in, in 2008? You might recall there was a global recession. So you could spend all the money you want to on marketing, but sales wouldn't go up. Nobody was buying. We were in a recession. Uh, this company understood it needed to protect its margins, and in so doing, uh, this company took a look internally at expenses, at operations. One of the first things they looked at, believe it or not, was the slotting optimization opportunity that existed out there that they hadn't spent any time at all on. There was no reason. They'd spent time on sales and marketing. Um, So they were starting from absolutely no no understanding of um, of how important it is um, to, to do good slotting to a complete turnaround. They actually licensed our software. We went into these centers, uh, and in each of these centers, I think the minimum productivity gain that we saw was between 15 and 20%. And we ran into one center that approached a, a nearly 50% uh, gain in selective productivity rates out there. Nobody got fired. There was a complete understanding that had, there had been no focus on this in the past and uh, that all that the company was looking for was, Improvement and then continuous improvement in this area because it was a way to preserve the margins um, while the global economy um, was was um, healing itself out there. So that third category is those companies that just don't understand and don't pay attention um, at all to um, their, their slotting. Uh, and in that instance, the gains can be just outrageously high.
0: Absolutely. And those, again, are very g- good examples, right? Because you're showing, um, the value to a company that already has the slotting software. Um, you're also looking at somebody that uses spreadsheets. I mean, spreadsheets are, I don't know, they're, they're kind of, <laughs> they're kind of the go-to in this industry for all things supply chain. Um, and it's inter- interesting that you say that they are committed to good slotting by using that tool. Um, But unfortunately, that tool is not useful enough for them to optimize as much as they would want to. So really, really like that. So before we wind this interview down, and Dan, I have really enjoyed talking to you today. You know, why don't you let us know what's next for
1: Optricity? Okay. Um, So um, I can do, I'm going to talk about two different things here. Um, Number one, I'm going to talk about slotting again. So Um, Slotting, in general, is a planning function rather than an execution function, and so that's kind of good and kind of bad. We've built um, execution components into our slotting software, but because it's primarily planning, what do you think the first thing is that doesn't get done when you get busy inside the distribution center? It's that planning function. It's that move these items around from these locations to these other locations Uh, And it it just doesn't happen because people get busy. Um, So one of the things that we're looking at, um, actually, the generic term that we use is the self-healing warehouse. The the self-healing warehouse is one where without any human interaction, there can be a continuous improvement in slotting optimization. Um, This is something we've uh, we've worked on already. Uh, It's not uh, yet prevalent in the marketplace, but it's just a way of doing slotting optimization automatically and systemically by tying um, the slotting optimization function very, very tightly into the WMS functionality, especially on the replenishment side. Um, so if you can envision simply replenishing items to their optimal locations instead of to the locations where they might be today in a pick path, um, and doing it in a very, very clever way instead of the way it, it's been attempted for the last 30 years, we um, figured out a really clever way to do this where it actually works. Um, so that's um, coming out and, in my opinion, extremely important simply because we don't want the function to, dis, to, to be, uh, you know, the, not high on the priority list because it has such a significant impact, again, on efficiency, throughput, cost reductions, all that good stuff. So uh, the way to do that is to not have to have people that think about it. It just happens all by itself. So that's, a, that's, a, that's just now coming out from electricity that I think is really valuable. Uh, we also, um, just as kind of a secondary thing, Sarah, we, we are asked to do stuff on a pretty regular basis. Most of the time when we're asked to provide certain functionality, um, it's functionality that's either weak or missing in existing warehouse management software. Um, and so um, we do tend to um, fill the functional gaps um, in warehouse management software and other systems. Uh, we've done some on the receiving side, for example, where uh, we need to control our put-away locations. We need to do put-away location consolidations and things like that um, with an understanding of what product is coming in the door. Uh, we've done that we've been asked to do things with uh, what I'll call batch pick optimization where because we have so many sparse orders these days, you know our business profile is changing a little bit uh, there's more concern about how we might actually batch um, orders to get reasonably good pick density and still meet with our um, order delivery requirements out there so um, it's another one that's right right in our bailiwick. Um, anytime we run into one of these, um, these opportunities, these functional gaps, that, um, where we can get a really good answer by, once again, making use of true optimization techniques, uh, mostly using combinatorial math, that's the things that, that we're looking for. Um, Sarah, in addition to that, we're always looking for ideas, but we're resource-constrained. We take a very conservative approach to business, and electricity is the way I've done it for the last 31 years um, so, um, what, what we find is what I told you earlier, about 95% of our time is still spent on sliding optimization. And as we have time, we'll build out these other functions that people cross industry have, um, have requested from us.
0: Wow. So, so much to look forward to. I'm excited to, you know, sort of watch and and see where you guys grow and how you grow. So, do you have control over your warehouse operations? Or maybe you could be padding your bottom line by implementing a solution that will optimize and bring more efficiency. Either way, I hope that you have enjoyed learning about Optricity as much as I have today. Thank you to Lindsay and the team at Optricity for making this happen you can find all the details on where to connect with dan and optricity at letstalksupplychain.com forward slash season two dash episode 32 plus go and visit them on their website which which is optricity o-p-t-r-i-c-i-t-y.com thank you so much dan for coming on the show today
1: thanks for having me sarah i appreciate it
0: if you liked this episode check out season one episode 57 with Mark from Pathguide Technologies. Next week on the show, Sean from Dynasys is here to talk to us about critical demand and supply chain planning in your business. Here are a couple of ways to support the show I have an 107-page supply chain dictionary full of definitions, acronyms, because we all know that this industry is full of acronyms. So go and get that. Go to letstalksupplychain.com forward slash shop. Also, I'm building an online platform, which I've been talking a lot about, and we are getting ready to start development and looking forward to letting the people that have signed up on the website know when we are ready to launch. So go to ships.com, that's S-H-I-P-Z dot com To sign up. Remember to rate and review the show so other people can find us. I appreciate everyone who has done that so far and really would like to encourage everybody else who has not yet done that to go and rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts, but mostly on iTunes. And remember again to send me your questions or supply chain stories to listener at letstalksupplychain.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. Have a great day. everyone, and remember, ship happens.